This is Crossroads, a Get Religion podcast. Very interesting column to lead off 2022 at the website Crux by the website's founder, John Allen Jr. Five predictions for Pope Francis and for the Vatican in 2022. One of the predictions, the U.S. is again a headache for Pope Francis. Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. When it comes to both how the Vatican and the Roman Catholic Church is covered and kind of the typical Roman Catholic, which matters more, worship or politics? Well, I think that's a question with three parts. I think the first thing you have to say is that in terms of press coverage, the most important thing, of course, is politics. Yet what's fascinating is year after year, there almost always seems to be a story about worship or doctrine that just blows up much bigger than anybody expected it to be. And then, stage three, the arguments about worship and doctrine end up being framed primarily through a lens of politics. And looking back over the last year to two years, it's easy to see that an attempt to talk about Catholics losing sight of what Eucharist is about, what confession is about, what the doctrines of their church about sin, confession, and the Mass, an attempt to discuss that is going to be framed automatically by the press as a debate about denying communion to Joe Biden. Because, once again, politics is what makes it real. While, meanwhile, you have polls showing massive disbelief among cultural Catholics about what their church teaches about the Mass and basic doctrines, etc. So that three-stage process is, is really important. The news can't change what people in pews and some bishops in non-blue zip codes, what those people in pews and on kneelers and in Episcopal garb, the news can't change how they act. So eventually, you're going to have situations pop up at the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. You're going to have situations pop up where they are going to demand that an issue be discussed no matter what. Before we get into this list, this kind of prediction list for Pope Francis and the Vatican in 2022, very interesting story that you put us onto. It appeared in EWTN, their news uh, yeah. newsletter. Uproar over Chicago Mass. Did this Christmas Eve liturgy go too far? Give us some context for this, because what's happening on Sunday morning or a celebration like the Feast of Christmas inside Catholic churches was already somewhat controversial. Well, I mean, what this is about is the Latin Mass fight and the effort by the Vatican 
to kind of crush some of the emerging interest in the Latin Mass. And because of that, once again, here we are in a worship war situation. Well, then you have the Cardinal of Chicago, who is one of the strongest defenders of Francis, yet he's also one of the people who has done the most to hurt the Latin Mass case. So he has, like, not just banned the Latin Mass or really, really cracked down on it. He has cracked down on worship in a lot of other ways with his people there in Chicago. When I say worship, I mean traditional forms of worship. So while that is going on, you have things happening, very strange things happening, like this this Christmas Mass, which seems to violate like every law that's ever been passed about how you celebrate any Mass, even the, the Vatican II Mass, the Novus Ordo Mass. At the same time, this cardinal has taken part in some strange ceremonies of his own, where, like, last year there was some hubbub about him taking part in a Chinese New Year service in which he blessed a pair of Chinese lion dancers in a ceremony that really he was fulfilling the role of a Buddhist priest, blessing this animist dance and ceremony which is about driving out demons and bringing good luck in the new year. So, I mean, so there you have, once again, a kind of a worship-meets-doctrine issue, while at the same time, he's really working over the Latin Mass people, and we can get into the complex series of events that I tried to get into a a 700-word column this week for my own religion column. It all ties together, though, but... Then it turns political in that this cardinal, Blaisupich, in Chicago is a perfect example of someone who would be defending, not saying anything about Biden, abortion, gay marriage, etc. Someone who defending kind of the democratic establishment within the Catholic Church, whereas the people who are trying to make the Latin Mass something that can live on and people can get access to it, those are the people who are going to be seen as the cultural and political conservatives. So once again, you can't disconnect the two. So I'm surprised. We did talk recently about the the top stories from 2021, and uh, I I don't think it made the top 10 list, and that was Pope Francis's reversal of his predecessor. That was one of the things that I talked about as a story that I thought was very important and and very symbolic, yet it didn't seem to catch on as much with people in the uh, mainstream press as it did in the religious press, in the Catholic press. And when it did catch on in the mainstream or political press, it was once again interpreted as any attempt to defend the Latin Mass, to defend traditional worship, etc., is a political statement because it's an attack on Vatican II. And if you're attacking Vatican II, that means you want to enforce doctrines the way, et cetera, et cetera. These things all then connect. Let's go through a little bit of this list that appeared at this website called Crux. And uh, 
It's quite interesting. The You're going to have to explain some of it. One of the predictions for 2022 is the, quote, trial of the century collapses under its own weight. What's the trial of the century in this context? Well, this is a financial trial, but it's also a trial about corruption at the level of the Italian church. And this, to me, is a classic Catholic news and journalism story until it gets to the stage where you finally have one big final headache. If it leads to the headline, if it falls to the uh, level of some cardinals coming down or something like that. That's not, to me, one of the... That's certainly a big Catholic story going into the year. But I'm not going to expect that one to get that much press unless some of the red hats, the cardinals that start to fall, are closer to the top of the chain of command, shall we say. I also think our listeners need to understand that one of the reasons why this list is so important is it's an analysis that's written by John L. Allen, Jr., who is the founder and editor of Crux. But if you were going to pick one journalist over the last 20 to 25 years who has been the most influential journalist covering the Catholic Church, this is the guy. So this isn't just anybody's list on what's going to happen. This is the number one seer of seers, so to speak. Another it has to do with what he calls the synod on mm-hmm. synodality. What is that, and why does he say it's going to be a lightning rod? Well, I mean, can you picture how boring would a headline be, a synod on synodality? It almost sounds like some sort of Zen joke or something. What this is really about, though, is an issue at the heart of Catholicism, which is to what degree, post-Vatican II or post-the spirit of Vatican II, At what point are national churches and regional bodies of bishops supposed to influence the doctrine of the church or how the church attempts to enforce the doctrine, proclaim the doctrine, etc.? So at the very bottom of this piece, of this particular item within his essay, you have a paragraph in which you have this international synod on synodality, and they're all going to be meeting in their regions. They're supposed to quote back to Rome about what they would like to do. And John Allen makes the the obvious but important point that right now the people who are pro-synod on synodality are the people who want to change the direction of the church or change doctrine, and thus they're kind of this is the pro-Pope Francis crowd. So then there's, a, there's an enigmatic paragraph at the end of that section where he says, as that picture begins to take shape, conservative Catholics will begin issuing warnings about where the synod may be headed and start organizing for the next phase. One soundbite worth preparing for, my God, this is Germany on a global scale. So what does that mean? My God, this is Germany on a global scale. The German bishops and clergy in Germany have started, quite frankly, to rebel against some of the teachings of the church. And what do you do when bishops start doing this? Or uh, more likely, bishops stop disciplining their priests who oppose the teachings of the church. So what are the issues here? 
Well, do we allow Protestants and divorced Catholics to start receiving communion? There's an issue, which is a loosening of disciplinary standards for the reception of communion. Well, you can see how that immediately begins to kind of sound like things that uh, the liberal wing of the church might want to do to help protect people like Joe Biden, etc. But the big issue there is going to be gay rights and same-sex marriage or same-sex union liturgies even, in which you had, you might remember a Get Religion piece from last year, in which a bunch of Catholic theologians, Catholic priests, and even one or two bishops basically said they were in favor of gay right union ceremonies in Catholic churches. And the bishops, maybe they didn't like endorse that, but they said, I understand my priests are going to be doing this and I'm not going to discipline them. I'm not going to enforce the laws of the church. Well, you can't make those changes on sexuality and marriage without changing the very doctrines of the church on the meaning of the human person, what it means to be human, and kind of a Catholic anthropology. And when you do that, you're overthrowing the most important works of the entire John Paul II era, especially his theology of the body, and, for that matter, his great papal document, papal encyclical, where he talks about how truth, some things are true forever. There are absolute truths that don't change. Well, once again, it's all linked. So this synodality thing is yet another place where you're going to see clashes over what does the church teach about abortion? What does the church teach about marriage? What does the church teach about sexuality, specifically homosexuality, etc.? And which side does Francis finally come down on? Or does he fight back and crush the Germans? And, and at which point the left may lose faith in Francis. Terry, before the break, we were talking about this synod on synodality. Of course, the opposite of synodality is schism. And if Germany refuses to relent, or if other national churches, as you say, follow Germany's example in, well, I mean, just flagrant rebellion against Catholic teaching, and perhaps, as you point out, even Pope Francis himself, is that too strong an idea to entertain? Well, I think we need to make one thing perfectly clear. Synodality is what some conservative Catholics believe could cause schism, a kind of functional schism, because the more power you give to kind of the regional bodies and the more you allow them to not enforce doctrines or to even rebel against doctrines to create worship rites that oppose and enflesh bad doctrines, that kind of synodality is exactly what conservatives fear. And if that starts to happen, they fear quite literally another schism coming out of Germany because of synodality. So synodality for many people is just another name for acting like Episcopalians or Anglicans. So, I mean, that's quite frankly what this is all about. To what degree 
do we allow people in different parts of the world to have kind of their own regional interpretations of what the doctrines mean and how you do or do not enforce them or teach them? What is the St. Gallen group, <laughs> and why does the author of this article, this list of predictions for 2022, anticipate a center-right version? Well, this is the group that some people would say elected Pope Francis. This is the group that behind the scenes, toward the end of the John Paul II era, tried to prevent the election of Pope Benedict. Now, if you get into real conspiracy land, you begin to hear people say, this is the group that helped force Benedict to retire. And that what you hear in the background is da-da-da, thus bringing up a successful election of Pope Francis. Now, a lot of the leaders of this group are folks that Americans will not have heard of unless they're Catholics who follow the media, especially the man who is perceived, Cardinal Martini, who is perceived to be the most powerful figure. But then you, this list includes two people from Germany, someone else from Belgium, someone else from England. What part of the world are we talking about here? Let's see, Europe, 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 and Europe. And how does that part of the Catholic Church clash with the growing parts of the Church in Africa and Asia, primarily? So anyway, there was one other person who may not have been listed as a key person in this group. And I, I was thought it was interesting that he was not mentioned in this article. There was a man who claimed to have been a member of this group, or at least he claimed, I did everything I could to help them after I talked to them, and thus I helped elect Pope Francis. And that man's name was Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, who is now someone that maybe they don't want to say, hey, this was one of our buddies, this was one of the people who helped raise money for us, this is one of the people who worked for us behind the scenes. Ted McCarrick, of course, is now the human face of the sexual abuse scandal, etc., which leads us, quite frankly, to the next item in the list, which is the sexual abuse scandal has now definitely kind of gone global in the sense you're beginning to see accusations of criminal activity going up the hierarchies in different parts of the world, in Spain, in big, huge report out of France, etc. And John Allen at the end just says he predicts that there are going to be at least 10 Catholics in power right now around the world who will resign in disgrace during the next year. And the U.S. press will care about that to the degree that those are people who are affiliated with Pope Francis or those are people who are affiliated with the critics of Pope Francis. I would say the sexual abuse crisis from the beginning has not been about left or right. There are demons and skeletons in all kinds of closets that could, those 10 Catholics in power falling could come from anywhere. Okay, all of this comes in the context for American Catholics and especially the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops with what has become an, I think it's pretty close to being open headbutting between Francis and that conference. 
Correct. I mean, and of course, what what's going on with Catholicism in the next year or two? You've got elections, and you have ultimately the big question of does Joe Biden run again, etc. You've got Democrats, frankly, worrying about loss of Catholic votes and also worrying about the loss of Latino votes of all kind, both Catholic and Protestant. And to make matters more complex, you have an election to pick the next leader of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. And the current bishop is a Latino in the largest diocese in America, Los Angeles. We're talking about Archbishop Jose Gomez of Los Angeles, who is a noted conservative. And notice that he is Archbishop Jose Gomez, not Cardinal Jose Gomez. If you're trying to find a situation under which the leader of the largest diocese in America, who is also a Latino, yet has not been named a cardinal by Pope Francis, that's just a rather obvious set of interesting facts about this man. Yet as president of the U.S. Bishop, Bishops' Conference, he is also the person who continued to push for very frank discussions about failing American beliefs on the subject of the Mass and Catholic teachings about the Mass and the need to enforce some discipline concerning who gets to take communion and who doesn't, and in specifically even raising the question. I mean, he never calls out Biden, except that he wrote that letter when Biden was actually raised to the presidency and actually inaugurated, he wrote this letter that mentioned some of Biden's opposition to church teachings. And that just freaked out the Cardinal of Chicago and a bunch of other people because they saw that as an attack on Biden as a Catholic. So then you move on. Gomez continues to push for some discussion of defending the doctrine surrounding the Eucharist. Everybody sees that as an ongoing series of attacks by conservative Catholics on Biden, you know, and the Speaker of the House. Then eventually you end up with New York Times and Washington Post pieces about how the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops is being run by a cabal of ultra-conservatives. And what we have here is an attempt to discuss doctrine, worship, and sacraments being turned into a debate about politics. At the end, John Allen makes another very important prediction. He says, prediction, at some point in 2022, the Vatican will once again feel compelled to issue some sort of guidance or exhortation urging American bishops to remain pastors rather than politicians, and as in previous cases, it will find a mixed reception. What this does to me, I mean, there are big words, and he puts them inside quote marks, kind of scare quote marks. Pastors is framed in quote marks, and so is politicians, which raises questions that I think we can end up talking about here today. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a pastor? Well, in the pages of the New York Times and in most of the mainstream press, being a pastor means going easy on Catholics who 
don't go to church that often, or Biden still does, of course, but Catholics who are kind of cultural Catholics who want to see the church change. They don't believe in the doctrines of the faith anymore, but you're supposed to still be nice to them and grant them divorces and let them go to communion and maybe even hold secret gay rights services for them and what is sort of a same-sex marriage right, but it's probably the left would call it a blessing service. All of that is being pastoral. And that's being called the Church of Pope Francis, even if that doesn't fit perfectly with what Pope Francis has said. Meanwhile, what does it mean to be a politician? Well, it means to defend doctrines. And when you defend doctrines, you make conservative Catholics happy. And conservative Catholics are the people who are most critical of Joe Biden. So you end up having to say that the people who want a pastoral church seem to want to retain their clout with the world of Catholic Democrats. And it seems like the people who want a political church are thought of as the people who want to win favor with the political right, even if you're defending Catholic doctrines while you do that, and it ends up, you know, as a Catholic clash where people can't talk about doctrine because everything is interpreted largely through the press. Everything is interpreted only through the lens of politics, which means, once again, politics is what's real. Politics is what really matters. Politics is the only way you actually have clout in the world, whereas religion, doctrine, sacraments, meh, you know, doesn't really matter that much unless it becomes involved in politics. And with only about 30 seconds here, Terry, is that why you, you wrote the story about the Chicago situation and even down to the details of the kind of prayers they're saying yeah. post-mass? About 30 seconds. Yeah, so Terry Mattingly's prediction for next year is uh, everything that John wrote about is true, but at the same time, keep your eye on what happens to the people with the Latin mass and keep your eye on the stories about what kind of worship is acceptable to the old guard, which is primarily the left in America, versus the rising younger bishops and younger priests who want to see more traditional forms of worship defended. And that doesn't have to be the Latin Mass. I think you could get in trouble with your bishop right now celebrating the Novus Ordo Mass with Gregorian chant while with your back turned to the congregation in a way that implies that you prefer the traditional rites before Vatican II. It's not just about the Latin Mass, but the Latin Mass is the point on the spear of this controversy. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. 
If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at GetReligion.org.